Welcome to the Two Tokens Podcast. During these episodes, we will invite guests onto our show and discuss everything token related. You can expect to hear about token business models, the underlying technology stack, token governance, but also about mainstream topics such as NFTs. Does this sound interesting to you? Then make sure you subscribe and keep listening. And now, on to the episode. Uh, Marlene is uh, really technical about this, but it should be said that you know it took a lot of work getting the grant from uh, European Union and to publicize this for the public use. Uh, but there's a lot of work that was done in the back. And a lot of work is going to be fi- have to be finished before December, 20, you know, December 2023, right? So uh, this is no easy feat. But it's again, with two tokens, we're showing uh, tokenization at work, right? Uh, we're also showing, it's interesting, there's all these different opinions. Um, of course, we're mocking the lawyers and the regulators, but really, you know, we need everybody, right? For, uh, because we're, we're changing society, we're changing the, econo- the economic f- fabric of society. And, um, and every country does it differently. And um, so maybe Johnny, uh, maybe you have an opinion. You, know, you, you are relieved of uh, Europe after Brexit. Um, um, you know, what was your, you know, what is your uh, opinion of today and what happened in Europe? You know, I, I, I have some slides for you. Um, let me find He's completely them. completely hijacked my presentation. I, I did. Oh, and Marlene uh, or I did? Well, I don't know. And uh, I'm between you and having a drink and something to eat, so we're going to try and keep it brief. Um, Alex basically mentioned that he was in Frankfurt a couple of weeks ago and a number of themes and um, ideas came up which they were trying to address. So he, um, 24 hours ago, he bounced them onto me and said, what do you think about this? Can you actually say a few things? Um, but starting off, um, I googled what is a Englishman. And um, you might want to try it. And up comes, and you'll see in a minute, a sort of a, it looks like a, a sort of a, I don't know, almost a, um, a, a chap from Home Pride Flower, if have you ever seen it, sort of uh, a sort of short guy with a bowler hat and a, a, a flag. Um, and then I um, googled um, what, what is a Dutchman, obviously thinking my friend Alex, and, and up came this. What? That. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is actually there's a number of you in the room that are, you know, probably just left school, um, not Alex. Well, uh, and there's a number of what I call, excuse the language, old farts. You've been in the markets for a little while. You've got various experience. And I think we need to bear in mind that a lot of what you know can be used in these markets. And we don't want to throw away, if you like, that knowledge and expertise. We have rules and regulations to try and stop some of the nefarious actors. And I think we need to bear that in mind. But we shouldn't be dictated to by what's happened in the past. And we have to replicate that. albeit in a sort of digitized format. And so with that sort of backdrop in mind, it was really to try and explain the situation as we see it from, if you like, a UK perspective. Not that one is better than another, but it's the UK is quite good at inventing games. are you going to completely ruin all my slides? Or yeah, are you have I'm just going okay. to take it away. So, yeah. so, there's been, so there's been a lot of chat about we need education. Well, we would argue actually it's not education, it's re-education. Why? Well, for the simple reason, most people, if you go and say, 
Oh, what, what are you involved in at the moment, Johnny? I spent most of my life in regulated markets running an asset management business. And I say, why are you involved in that blockchain, Bitcoin, Ponzi scheme, whereby basically it's, it's run by sort of drug barons and people sort of doing nefarious activities. And so people come to the table with those ideas. And actually, when you look at what you can do with the technology, it's juxtaposed to the very thing that most people think it's all about. Yeah, but I just learned that we should have uh, ignored law. That's the NFT table over there. Well, as I suggested, you should do everything as a DAO, who knows where it exists, and stick it on a DeFi market. So yes, of course, there's ways around it that you can actually do it. You know, some of the sort of you know, dodgy antics that you've got up to, you, know, it's, you, you want to make sure it's kept out of the media, clearly. Yeah. yeah. So but, but what does that mean anyways, you know, the, the Bitcoin and the crypto? I mean, you know, and, and, and the, the Brits have always been very good at, at, at dodging the law, right? I mean, here in Holland, we invented, you know, the, the, you know a lot of these financial uh, innovations 500 years ago. And, you know, what do you know? The Brits took it away. Well, the, the, the trouble is, is that, you know, you, you, you set up your country in the lowlands. So we have to be careful because you keep getting flooded. Yeah. And you came up with this idea of a stock exchange. The, the Dutch were the first, obviously, probably all aware, Amsterdam was the first stock exchange in the world. Um, they went out and found all the spices around the world. Um, and then the Brits came along and sort of you know, honed the idea of a stock exchange through our coffee houses. And then sort of set up the, um, the Royal Dutch East India Company. And we sort of... Oh, no, that was your company, wasn't it? And Shell was your company. Oh, well, we... Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, okay. Touchy subject. Yeah, we used to have some companies together, right? Now they're all in we the beautiful have, island. Oh, no, it's you. not a beautiful island. But, but, but joking apart, I'd, I'd just like you to read this. This is the definition from the FCA. So the table at the back, you think, they're better than the tables down the front here, NFTs. If I read that, and I'm not a lawyer, but I'm, I have the fortunate situation to work with a number of lawyers um, in the States and across Europe, that to me looks like an NFT. So does that mean that the regulators are going to have a pop at your Fitzy gallery? Because they actually sold a Michelangelo NFT for something in excess of $175,000. Does that mean they're going to go at Series A, the Italian Football League, who have just actually been giving away NFTs, or the Premier League? And, and I can go on and on and on um, of examples of global brands that are now getting involved in this sector. Meanwhile, we have our friends, the Yankee Doodle Dandies, who are coming out with statements like this. Because finally, the penny has dropped. And had we had this conversation um, when we first met, back in 2016, this market was being driven by people wanting to get around the rules and regulations. How do I transfer money and not get caught? How can I actually transfer anonymously? And what's happened is, the whole thing has been turned on its head, and you've got table five, stable, uh, stable coins. You've now got 90% of all central banks currently involved in various different projects looking at build, building out a stable coin. And, and your point, Oliver, about we need a global, if you like, um, consensus. Well, the Bank of um, International Settlements have got um, a, a project which is talking about not just central bank digital currencies, but multi central bank digital currencies. How do we get that integration? So you're now seeing governments driving adoption, arguably. And you're seeing global brands that are using the technology. And it's something which, from an educational point of view, showing people real case studies, showing them real examples of what's actually happening, becomes a very powerful way to reinforce. So 
I would argue it's re-education, not education, Alex. Yeah, because you know, some people you know, feel offended if you tell them to get educated. You know, they went to school, well, you went to school before war, but... I certainly you know, did. But, but, yeah, so uh, some people actually did get an, a degree. But they've all got different ideas of, of what it actually means. So, joking apart, that, that's what we, we, we see this time and time again. People come of it from the wrong angle because they actually just know a little bit. And a little bit of knowledge is actually very, very dangerous. Yeah, but it's also, you know, some people find it difficult to associate themselves with crypto because it's criminal. But that's the whole point. Crypto isn't necessarily criminal. And the, probably the most important thing is to bear in mind the crypto market is a very, very small market. It's, it's, it, it was two trillion. It's, it's now sort of, you know, substantially below that given what's happened literally in the last week or so. But it's the technology behind the crypto which is actually really important. It's statistics like this. This, this was the, the biggest seizure from the FBI of assets ever. Uh, okay, they, you know, they, they were held to ransom and they gave over some monies, but they managed to get 85% of them. So you need to bear in mind that digital assets leave digital footprints and therefore it becomes easier to be able to track and trace. So any stolen NFT can be traced? It depends how the NFT is being created, but potentially yes. And, and the th going back to the rules and regulations, I know we've got ABN here, I'm not sure what other banks we've got here, but it's the banks that consistently been fined hundreds of billions of dollars for poor systems and procedures, and we're trying to impose that regulation on a fintech sector, certainly, whereby it's stifling innovation. And what's going to happen, you're going to drive that innovation. So what's the number in the UK? I think one out of nine employees at the bank here are you know, tasked with you know, a financial crime, right? And KYC, is that one out of nine? What, no, what is it in the UK? Must be, must be much bigger than that. I think one, of, one out of nine employees at the banks. Yeah. yeah? Bigger? Well, I, I know when I was running a, a quoted regulated asset management company, 20% of my time was spent purely just on compliance. Hmm. Now, I'd, I'm, although I've been regulated all my life, I, I have a question mark over, is it sensible that we have these statements on television, on the radio, and, go, and you may lose your money? <laughs> How does that help the investor? And so I think we have an opportunity now to start using technology in, in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. So my clicker isn't working. Not so working. Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah. So, so we've, we've put this slide up here, and you'll see that there's, there's one... We had to try to find it. it. It's this one over here. We didn't think it was on here. This is, this is sort of crypto. And if you compare that sort of $2 trillion-ish uh, and falling compared it to the mutual fund market, which I suspect every single one of you will have a mutual fund. It'll be in your pension, in your savings. That market is 100 trillion. And there's companies like Tokeny who are actually in the process of talking to some very, very large asset management companies. We're working on a couple of projects um, in the States and in the UK, exactly the same, where what they want to do is to actually move their funds into a digitized environment. But why? Well, let me give you a very simple example. There are two things that regulators around the world are trying to do. One is to maintain confidence in the financial system. Two is to um, protect customers and ensure they're treated fairly. So if you have a situation whereby you invest your money into, um, let's say, Fidelity, and Fidelity once a day tell you how much your fund is worth and once a day will allow you to actually encash your money. That's the current situation in the mutual fund industry globally. Alternatively, 
you actually go to the market makers that um, are currently uh, making prices in exchange traded funds, ETFs. And you say, will you make a price in this mutual fund? And they say yes, because they will. And then they make the price up, and then they trade that nine to five. So you can now trade it, not based on, in this case, Fidelity's price, but based on an independent market maker. Then the next step is that you actually then put a digital wrapper around the fund. It's still the same fund, still managed by Fidelity, but what it means is that you can have a price being made 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now that, in our opinion, is actually treating the customers more fairly because they've got independence and they've got access to their monies. Because not everyone wants to go along and see you know, their stockbroker or their bank manager or their asset manager at their convenience. They want to trade and do things when they want to do them, when they want to do it. So I think that's a little example how we're actually um, seeing the market beginning to change from an institutional perspective. So what did you learn here today? What did I learn here today? I thought the lunch was lousy. Oh, well you didn't have lunch. Well, precisely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think the, I think the interesting thing was the, the constant reiteration of um, concern over regulation the need for education. I need, we need to actually teach people a little bit more, not only the people issuing, but also the investors. What, why do we need tokenization? And we, we discussed it at our table, and I think there is a possibility, again, if you go back 2017, this, this event would have been obsessed by um, the Information Commission, sorry, not the Information Commission Officer, um, initial coin offerings. Yeah. Because if you actually Google ICO, that's what comes up, the Information Commission Officer. No one talks Remember, about we had to keep the people out because the fire department said, you know, only so many people in. Remember that? Precisely. In the city. Yeah. Precisely. But, but now, the conversation typically in, in the sector, in the, in the industry, is all about non-fungible tokens. And arguably, non-fungible tokens, you know, has certain, no, very few people talk about STOs per se. And I, I wonder whether we're going to see tokenization itself not being discussed as people jump on that next sort of bandwagon. That, yeah, but that the difference between NFTs is that they're being adopted by all these brands. Well, that's, that, that's the reality. And so when people say, give me an example, blockchain technology is not being used. It's not being used by commercial brands. Well, you know, all of these are, are examples of companies. Some of you are wearing some of the stuff. You've eaten some of their stuff. You've driven some of their stuff. And it's happening. It's real. And we often get asked, well, okay, where, 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 where is it happening in, in, how does it impact me? You know, I'm in the retail industry, or I'm in the pharmaceutical industry, or the medical industry. And it's really, really easy. Just put in whatever industry you're in, and I'd suggest you maybe talk to some of the skeptics and maybe some of your family or friends or clients, and just put in hospitality plus blockchain, holidays plus blockchain, pharmaceuticals plus blockchain. And you'll come up with three or four pages of examples of how it's actually being implemented and what people are talking about. But the opportunities you can see from this slide, again, you know, DeFi, we haven't talked about it too much today. Um, it's, it's kind of imploded in the last um, week, given what's happened to good old um, Bitcoin. And therein lies the problem, the systemic risk of one cryptocurrency. Because if that goes down, everything else seems to go down. But the interesting thing isn't the cryptocurrency, it, it, it's, it's this thing, it's the capital markets. It's the equity and the debt and the real estate. So just as a side, the amount of cash globally in banks, in tins under your bed, in your socks, where you normally keep things like that, it's 40 trillion US dollars.
Has anyone got any idea what the capitalization of the real estate market is? Come on. As soon as you give me an answer, as soon as I can go. Any idea? In Europe or in the UK? Globally. 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 What's the capitalization of property? Yeah, you, no. No one, no one got any idea at all? Hmm? Well, according to Savills, it's 326 trillion. 306, how much? 326 trillion. Okay. So why are we using fiat currencies that get manipulated by governments where we have companies or countries like the USA where they printed 25% of all of the dollars ever in 2021? And again, going back to the stable coins, you were talking, Oliver, about maybe we can see lots and lots of stable coins. Going back to 1863, the US had 5,000 different US dollars, 5,000 of them. And the Fed came along and said, no, it's going to be one. We're going to have one US dollar backed by the US government. Potentially, we're going to go back to lots and lots of stable coins. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but it's sometimes a useful exercise to go back into history and look at what's happening, because it can actually teach you many, many lessons of what may well be coming, coming forward. But the opportunity is very much in the real assets um, as opposed to the sort of virtual assets. So Brexit was actually a good thing then? Huh? I'm not so sure about that. It took oh. me bloody ages getting yesterday. <laughs> you know, I've got my passport. No, you go the long queue, Mr. Fry. Yeah, but no mica, no Brussels. You can basically be Singapore on the Thames. Yeah, but without the sun. Um, <laughs> I, we practice this, this, all right? So <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is Alex. Thing. Alex yeah. reckons we're, we're, we're super lucky. We've got, we're Singapore on the Thames. Um, I'd love to think... But there is some truth in that, really. I, I think there's some truth in it in the sense that um, one thing the UK is good at, without being jingoistic, we are well respected for law. And, and that's one thing we see continually international cases being settled by UK courts. We, we're great at inventing sports like cricket and football and rugby and we're then losing to nearly every other country in the world. <laughs> But, you know, that's, that's a different story. But one thing that the UK is very, very good at is actually the use of the law. Um, and where I think we could well see is the development of um, more rules and regulations. We've, we've recently seen a great example of a young lady um, who runs something called Women in Blockchain. And she successfully brought a case to the High Court um, whereby um, it, it reconfirmed not only is um, Bitcoin um, a property, um, which is something which they've actually now said, which is really important if you're going to have legal contracts, if you're going to have insurance, if you're going to have banks getting involved. But the courts have now said that NFTs actually are property, which means that if your NFT gets stolen, you can actually um, go through and trace who is the owner and take that asset back. If they're not property, there's nothing you can do about it. So I think one of the advantages we've got, if it's true, and the UK government really does want to become a centre for digital assets, I think that may well um, open up some opportunities whereby people will actually see that there's some opportunities to actually do things in the UK with some of the less constraints. My concern is, though, um, the whole thing about national boundaries. And are we going to see the rise of more DAOs and DeFi? And actually, it's irrelevant where you're based. Yeah, well, no, but the, with the rent in London, you, you, you're going to need a top job, you know, get well paid, so... Well, that's the other thing. You know, the, the, the money that's being paid for blockchain and digital asset specialists, you know, is, attracts a lot of tax. 
and attracts high-paid jobs. Um, with, with uh, allegedly, according to a recent survey, you know, L London is actually set fair. But I, I don't want to make this all about London. I was interested in the next slide because I was surprised about this. Oh, what's the next slide? I put it up <laughs> earlier on. Holland is the highest owner of cryptocurrencies in Europe. I, th I thought that was quite surprising. I was surprised um, the UK had 33% of its citizens um, had had exposure or owned cryptocurrencies. So again, this is a much bigger figure than many people would initially think. But how do they get their exposure? Well, as you say, once again, we're back down to Bitcoin and Ethereum. And as I've already mentioned, you know, you've got the systemic risk. And we've seen, I, I don't know whether many of you realize, it's fallen by 43% in the last year. So there's a lot of people that have got exposure to that asset class, which have now saying, oh, I'm not sure if that's a good idea. I personally think that is really, really good because the market was being driven by two things. Fear of missing out and greed. And having gone through an 87 crash and having been through a dot-com sort of meltdown and the 2008 and the Gulf War invasion, you need a reality check. You need, this is not about speculation and it's not a guaranteed to work, way to make money. And I think what will come out of this is actually people understanding a little bit better, hopefully, the technology and then applying that technology to real assets and also applying that technology to as we said, to non-tangible assets into the metaverse. And this was interesting from a study carried out, and their you know, numbers saying that the market is around about sort of 30-odd billion at the moment, could be well rising to over 80 billion. So these are growing markets um, that, you know, I, I would argue need to have some knowledge and get exposure to on behalf of your clients. A, a small little bank called Citigroup, they reckon the metaverse market could be worth between eight and 13 trillion. And look at all the different areas that they're predicting it's going to impact. You don't get companies like Microsoft and what was Facebook basically changing their name to get involved in metaverse. 30% of males between 18 and 29 in Japan have a digital partner. How much? 30. Those are single men. Maybe, maybe they're two-timing the wives with their, with their avatars. I don't know. <laughs> but, but my point is, by looking at your face, you're saying, what? Precisely, we don't get it. We don't spend on the whole hours being paid to play. Microsoft spent $65 billion on Activision Blizzard. They're in the process of actually market research to those same users and saying we're now going to produce a number of um, tokens, non-fungible tokens, ways to give you digital value so you can actually sell your sword, your house, your spaceship or whatever it is. And so it's a matter of being aware of it, not necessarily believing in it because there's other markets out there which are almost becoming out of... The metaverse is it's a virtual land. But companies like Gucci are finding that they can sell virtual handbags more than a physical handbag. They're using the metaverse as market research. So, so these, these a virtual ideas. handbag doesn't... It's very light, a virtual handbag, right? I, I wouldn't know. I'll leave that one to you. But, but it's virtual. It doesn't exist. doesn't exist. doesn't exist. Okay. But look, as you were saying about Adidas and the um, World Cup football boots, oh, and they're going to they're, they're create, create them... Is it Adidas are going to put them onto metaverse? And you might think, well, so what? Well, if you go back, um, you know, let, let's say you all had a ticket for the first concert for the Rolling Stones or for the Beatles or... What have you got as a Dutch group? 
Do we have Dutch groups? Yes, we have Steen. Steen? Yeah. Well, let's say, well, pro that's probably not a good... But let's say you had a ticket. You had the ticket for the first concert. The chance are you'd put it in your back pocket, you'd spilt some beer or wine over it, and it was a bit of a mess, or, or you'd probably lost it. But imagine if you had that ticket for the first gig. It would be worth a fortune. You couldn't sell it to get access again, because half the people are dead. But the reality is that was worth something. Now, with digital tickets, or take lottery tickets, a huge market, and all you get is a bit of paper and you throw it away and you've lost. But imagine if they gave you the ticket in a digital format, like an NFT, where you ha you've lost, but you've ended up with a picture or an image. And who knows, one day someone will actually want something and pay something for it. So these are some ideas and suggestions and things that we look at. We, we produce a weekly analysis looking at how, where, and why the technology of blockchain is being used in different jurisdictions. And actually try and give real case studies and then we have companies that have a license to use um, the information that we create and produce. There's no recommendations, there's no investment advice. Most of our clients are regulated. They're either exchanges, banks, insurance companies, brokers, lawyers. Um, so they're using the information as an excuse to talk to their clients about what's going on because going back to the common theme, the common theme we found, I've thought, found today, and certainly on other events, is this need for re-education and showing concrete examples. And that's what we try and do once a week with Digital Bytes. Um, and, I, and I hope that, you know, Holland sees its ways and comes and joins us on the, as you call it, the beautiful island. Hmm. And uh, who knows? That was it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening in, and please subscribe so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find our contact details at www.twotokens.org.